Hello everyone, this is Ronnie Romero and you are watching CMS TV. are back right here on Chris Aker Presents, or I am. Eric is uh, refilling the coffee cup, I guess. But we are going to go right now to our first guest of the of the evening here. We are going to talk with Mr. Steve Rosen. Steve, how are you, man? Hey, Chris. How's it going, buddy? Good. Great to talk to you, man. And um, I'm sure you heard me talking in the lead up here. Uh, loving what I've read so far. I have not, like I said... I wish I would have had this for at least a month because it's a big read, but what a great, what a great different story about Edward Van Halen. Everybody, and, and it, it, it's a weird place because Edward is so iconic that there's so many books about him. A lot of them are nonsense, as I'm sure you're aware. A lot of them are well, oh, yeah. I interviewed Eddie one time, and therefore I'm going to write 300 pages about how I knew Eddie Van Halen, and it's nonsense. That, yeah, yeah. It's very clear from what I've read right now, which is probably about 150 pages, hmm. that you knew Edward. You didn't just meet him. You did meet him eventually at the beginning, but yeah. then it blossomed into a friendship. So first of all, man, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, man. Really, I'm really happy to be here. Absolutely. And, and secondly, let's, let's dig right into it, man. Let's start at the beginning. Um, how I, you know, I'm a journalist. We, we do this, we interview bands. I've, I have guys in my world that are musicians that I've become friends with, mm. but most, most journalists, and you know, this most journalists will call somebody a friend because they've interviewed them three times, you know, exactly. then all of a sudden they're their friend, but they're not their friend. They're their acquaintance. Yeah. So Talk a little bit to start how you met Eddie and how you transitioned from being a journalist for Eddie to being somebody that was his friend. That's a, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I wrote for 580 pages trying to answer that question, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess I would throw that back at you. Chris or Eric, you know, you guys are obviously buddies, um, um, you know, so at, at what point in time, you, you know, do you, are you hanging out with somebody and, and as opposed to, a, you know, being like a business buddy or your podcast buddy, you know, to where that thing happens and now you're friends, you know, it's a shady gray area. I mean, I, I couldn't give you a definite answer. You know, and, and I guess the next thing is, why do people become friends? You know, shared mm -hmm. interests. Um, you, drink the you same know. drinks. There you go. Um, <laughs> Eric, I hear you're a coffee guy. I mean, I have to have my coffee here. So, you know, <laughs> there you go, man. Drinking coffee every day together. Um, so, look, specifically talking about answering your question, Chris. Um, it, it was a strange thing in, in as much as the first the first time I met him, you know, and we're mm -hmm. going back to July 77 at the Whiskey. Cheap Trick was recording a live record. I'm there. Michelle Meyer, who books the club, someone I had met. I was playing in bands, and she had booked my band into some clubs. Um, uh, she knew I was a guitar guy. Okay. Um, she said, listen, there's this person upstairs. You have to meet him. So we go upstairs. 
um, and I see this guy, and I, and I think I probably recognize him, though I'd never heard him. Everybody had heard about Edward Van Halen, about Van Halen in Hollywood. So anyway, man, so we start talking, and it's that instant thing that I'm talking about before that maybe normally takes a little while um, before you, 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 know, you embrace somebody as a friend, but I, I felt it instantly. Um, I, I don't know why. Um, you know, that it, it rarely happened. You know, it's kind of like a love at first sight. I don't mean to be glib right. or cute about it, but, you, you know, there was just so much. Uh, again, there was, he said so many things that I just thought were so great. Look, in some ways, I'm a snob. You know, I knew everything there was to know about Clapton, right? I knew every lick. I knew all the blues breaker stuff. Sure. You know, I went way back with him. I knew everything about Richie Blackmore. I, I knew I, I'd interviewed Richie by that time, you know, and I knew every deep cut on every record. So if I'm talking to a guy and he goes, yeah, that, you know, Deep Purple record, and Richie did this solo. And, in other words, if this guy isn't like right on with his description of that, it's like, oh, my God, this guy doesn't know anything. And I write him off. <laughs> right. Ed, Ed knew everything. And he went even deeper because he could play all those licks and he understood Richie's vibrato and, and where the licks were coming from. And he got clapped and then he got the jam thing and the vibrato. And, you know, so there was that connection. And Jeff Beck was another one. Um, so it was just a connection. You know, and I was just comfortable in his, his company. Again, I had never heard him play. So maybe that was part of it. Had I heard him play or see him play and realized, oh, my God, this guy is, you know, look how remarkable this guy is. So, yeah, you know, you just start hanging out. You know, I, I interviewed him a couple times. Uh, I interviewed him once on the phone several months later. And then a few months after that, he comes over to my little Hollywood Hills guest house, uh, you know, up on Weepaw Way, famous Weepaw Way. And, um, you know, he kind of comes in and it's like, you know, he'd been there a thousand times and he drives up in his piece of shit car that he's so <laughs> proud of that he paid $700 for. And, Ed, you got ripped off, buddy. Um, you know, and, and he says, hey, let's go down to the car. And he plays me the traps, you know, um, unadorned that are going to be on Van Halen 2. And it's just like, my God, the experience was just so unbelievable, you know. And, I, again, I was so comfortable. Look, by then I'd heard Van Halen. I'd, I'd heard the first record. I realized who he was. And, 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 and yeah, part of me wasn't nervous. Just I, I didn't want to make an idiot of myself. I mean, I had sure. so much respect for the guy and what he'd done. So it's that line between, yeah, man, I, 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 I want to be your friend, man, but I'm also a journalist. So, yeah, man, that thing happens and you're going along and, you know, it's that last drop that goes into the cup and the cup overflows and you're friends, you know. So, sure. um, you know, long answer to a short question, Chris. No. I, I hope that answered it, man. It does. I, I'm curious. Do you think that one of the main reasons, I mean, obviously the interests are the big thing. Yeah. And and the other thing is that probably that you didn't fuck him as a as a journalist either. You know, I mean, you could have easily interviewed him that first time and written the story of here's the most overinflated guitarist in the history yeah. of guitar. It's Eddie Van Halen, and he would have hated you forever. But do you think that a big part of it might just have been the timing that you met him before he was a superstar? And, you know, a lot, cause I know a lot of, I know quite a few musicians, Eric plays guitar for Steven Piercy. So obviously another guy that's a big giant, oh, you know, a, a very big giant name. 
once they start getting famous, they insulate. They insulate because everybody wants a piece of them. And you might have kind of, I don't want to say made the cut, but I'll use that as the term. You made the cut because you were somebody that knew him before the fame and the success of the monstrous Van Halen one. You think? That is a really intriguing point, Chris. I've never heard anybody else pose it like that. And I've never been asked that question, the the timing of it. I never thought of it. I just thought, well, well, it's, you know, 77 and, and I've been writing for about four years and you know, I'm just meeting another musician, but yes, it was a rare timing thing in as much as, right. They had, they had uh, recorded that first record. Um, They'd been signed. I think, I think they'd recorded it by July 77 or maybe they started recording it. Um, But certainly nobody knew him. Sure. um, You know, other than around, you know, playing the whiskey in the Starwood and doing those backyard parties. Um, So that's a really interesting point. I mean, that's, I mean, I never thought of it. That, that that could be very true. Had I met him after the first record came out, and maybe they had already done that first tour, and they were blowing off Sabbath and Journey, and he was already getting that thing, and he was getting his entourage around him, it may have been different. Um, and I think, thinking back on it now, I think maybe Edward was probably aware of that as well. That, sure. that you know, hey, this guy met me before, you know. Um, I was, you were grandfathered in, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that that's really interesting, you know. Um, yeah, timing is everything, I suppose. In in in, uh, in some moments of your life, absolutely. Right Intriguing, now, man. Did, Steve, did he continue to consistently allow you to interview him every time he was back off the road, or did you go travel out to see him uh, different states? What? How did that work out? The only time I actually went out uh, with him. Um, uh, was for that uh, Guitar World story. I don't know if you saw it when uh, with Sammy, the 5150 yeah. record. So that was much later, what, 85? Right. So no, I, he, you know, he never invited me. And I was always like, hey, Ed, can I come on the road for a few days? And, you know, there was just a line that I felt funny crossing. I'm sure he would have said, yeah, I don't give a shit. You know, we do whatever, you know. <laughs> I mean, for him, it was yeah. nothing. For me, it was like, right. Because had he said, no, I don't want you to come, it'd be like, oh, God, I, you know, I'm embarrassed and I shrink away, you know. So I never asked him. I, honestly, I wish I had. I wish I could have spent more time on the road with him. Um, um, but, yeah, every time, uh, you know, I needed to do an interview, you know, those Guitar World interviews. I was also writing for a Japanese magazine called Player. Um, uh, Van Halen, Ed was a god in, in Japan. Um, so they were doing, uh, they wanted interviews. So I would just call him up. You know, I would never go through management or go through with Warner's, the label. I just call him up and say, Ed, you know, Guitar World needs a story. Ed, uh, you know, Player needs a story. Ed, a European mag, you know, can we get together? Do you have some time? Um, and he always said yes. You know, he would always find time. It may have taken weeks to get that together to find that day when he, when he could spend an hour or so talking. But he was always available to me. Um, and I don't want to give the book away and you're uh, right. 150 pages into it, Chris. Right. Um, but that would change. Okay. That would change. Yeah. Sure. Since you mentioned 5150, I, I and I'm going to jump all over the place because I, I, I'm like everybody else. I'm a, you know, I love Van Halen. Everybody loves Van Halen. I don't, yeah. I don't know anybody <laughs> likes rock that doesn't like Van Halen, to be honest, but 5150 <laughs> specifically. You know, it obviously changed how everybody looked at Van Halen. And 
it, I remember I was like 18 years old when, when it was announced and what, 85, 86, whatever, whenever it was. Yeah. And it, it seemed like it was a surprise to me, to me here in the Midwest. I was like, wait a minute, what, you know, there's a new singer. How can this be? How in front of, of the actual announcement, did you know about it? And what was Eddie's kind of, I'm assuming he was excited, but what was his excitement level or was there a difference in his approach or his attitude going into something that was very unknown for him at that time? Yeah. I mean, those are all great questions, man. So 5150, the record, um, you know, they're coming off 1984, which is a, a monster record and your singer wants to leave. Yeah. Okay. You know, Ed, and, and again, I write about it in the book in, in, in many ways, Ed was, um, um, an amenable kind of a an individual. Um, things that you that you would think he would have taken, uh, you, you know, that he would he would have wanted more control over. Um, he, at least in my experiences, he didn't. Um, you know, uh, again, I don't want to give the book away, but but you know, he says, "Hey, man, find me a find me a lead singer," and I'm thinking. Sure, Ed. Yeah, I'll, I'll go find this thing. Like, you don't know anybody. You couldn't make a phone call and get any singer on the planet to be in your band. You know, right. and he was dead serious. Wow. And it's not that he didn't know people. Um, obviously, you know, again, what singer would not have wanted to have come sing in, in, in Van Halen? But with Ed, I, I think it was um, he wasn't sure. Sure, and again, this is just my interpretations, and I saw it over and over in different ways. My interpretation is that he wasn't quite sure how to, <clears throat> you know, set up auditions, you know, or, you know, rent a, a rehearsal space or have guys come up to the studio and and sing over a Van Halen track. I don't think he he could put those pieces together. And at the time, I think there was no manager. I think Noel might have been gone, so maybe he was in between managers who might have normally taken care of that. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or how to even just get on the phone. Hey, uh, Bob Jones, I'm Edward Van Halen. You know, I'm looking for a singer. I, I don't think he, he quite knew how to put that together. Or his Rolodex was such that, where do I find a singer, you know, tab? Um, it was strange because, again, the same thing with the management, right? Sammy came in with his manager, mm-hmm. which I always thought was unbelievably strange. I mean, Sammy must have loved it, but... Right. Ed was going to allow a singer to bring his manager in as opposed to looking for some, you know, more or less neutral outside manager. Right. Not saying that Sammy's manager wasn't Conflict of interest. It's a conflict of interest, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, um, so yes. So, so I remember Ed calling me and I wasn't home and it makes me insane that I wasn't here. And I, I still have the message on the, this is like answering machine days, man. Right. You know, on the little tapes, and I still have it. And I, I transfer it to a cassette. Um, um, uh, Steve, um, you're home. Steve, Steve, Ed. You always say it's Ed. Like I never, like I wouldn't recognize his voice. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, uh, Steve, Ed. You, you're not, you're not going to believe this. And I remember the way he put it too. He goes, he goes, um, Sammy's, Sammy's lyrics to my music. You won't believe it. And th- and, and that's what he said. He was psyched. Right. He was totally sick. I had a conversation, I think the day after Sammy came up to 5150, I think it was a Sunday. And I think the next day I talked to Ed um, 
uh, that Sammy came up with was amazing. And he started thinking, yeah, you know, I, I, I never liked Sammy's songs. And again, I can't remember exactly what I wrote. Um, but, but it's like, I, I couldn't understand what, what was he saying. He goes, yeah, but I've never been a fan of Sammy's writing. And I'm thinking, you're so psyched and yet you're saying this. Ed, and he, I, again, I write about this when it's on tape. Ed was never a fan of Sammy's solo work. Okay. He thought he was, you know, I didn't think his writing was great. Thought he was an amazing singer, um, but was never a fan of Sammy's um, solo, you know, stuff. Which is odd, since you're bringing this guy into the band, and obviously the compositional side of it is, you know, you know, almost as important as, as the actual sound of the guy's voice. Um, but he was psyched, man. I think that 5150 record, he was really excited. Though, again, there's another little moment in there and this is a great chapter. And again, I, I, I don't want to give things away and I'm not trying sure, to be sure. mysterious, but um, um, Ed is talking about, we're actually talking about the book. I'll backtrack real briefly just to the audience. Um, uh, I was going to, I was supposed to write Edward's authorized biography uh, back in the day. Um, okay. uh, Edward signed a little contract for me. I worked for several years on, on, on putting it together, interviewing people. That book never happened, but I had all those interviews. I had all that the interviews with Edward and people I had interviewed, friends, et cetera, et cetera. So we're talking about the book, and I'm asking Ed about the book because it kind of got put to the back of his mind um, at a point in time. He was busy with his other stuff, his music. I understood that. So I talked about, you know, uh, 5150. I go, Ed, my God, the record's like number one or something, you know. And he goes, yeah, but 1984 or, or 5150 had a hit number one single and somehow he thought that 5150 at least in that moment was a little disappointment he would thought to his, his fans which i thought was just unbelievable but that was in reference to the book um but i think he was really happy uh for that 5150 record um and again not trying to be cryptic but time would go on and differences would uh you know creep through the walls between he and Sammy. Sure. And I think some of that goes back to the, to, to management. Um, yet, you know, um, so yeah, um, ultimately that kind of, that didn't end nicely as we all know, but right. yeah, 50 record. I think Ed was really, was uh, really happy. Um, and it was a great record. I mean, as a follow-up to 1984, I don't think it was as good as 1984, but it was a pretty great record, you know. Sure. The pressure, the pressure involved on Ed, you know, being the main contributor of the music. Yeah. You know, had to be getting to him at that point. And everybody knows that he was a the you know, like to indulge <laughs> party and so and so forth. I'm sure yeah. uh it made it more difficult too to you know, hit the mark as you went further. Uh, the magic fizzles a little bit over time. Uh, were you noticing that as, as time went by, uh, his his abuse of substances and so forth? Was that starting to take a toll around that time? You know, um, I'm trying to think. Honestly, I never noticed it. It was probably a little bit after that. I'd say, and again, my experiences, what I saw. Um, look, and all the time I was with Ed, you know, and I write about it, uh, he was high. 
And I got <laughs> fucked up with him a lot of times. And I got to tell you, there were some of the most fun times of my life. I mean, I'd be lying yeah. if I did otherwise, you know. Um, you know, when I went home, I never did them. And not to say that, you know, I'm not trying to preach to anybody. I never yeah. drank because I would get migraines and I write about that. Um, Ed drank a lot, but, but he was always, I, I don't know if it was his threshold or his tolerance, man, but he was just, he was never sloppy, never, you know, like stumbling. It was just never that. It was just, it was more Ed that would come out right. later on. And I, I'd probably say around early, mid-90s, Ed was changing. I don't know if that was directly due to his intake of some substances. Mm -hmm. um, again, Eric, you talk about the demands of writing all of that stuff. Right. You know, trying to you know live up to, to, to who what it, what had come before. Um, you know, the label getting weird. You know, maybe his marriage. I think it was a combination of the, of those things, but. Certainly, he would talk from time to time, and, the, and those are moments I found amazing. You know, Edward Van Halen, the greatest, or the most important, influential guitar player on the planet, arguably at that time, mm -hmm. made some of the greatest rock records, you know, rewrote the, the, the vocabulary of electric guitar and his wrist, sure. you know, and the tours, and he would, he was insecure, you know? <laughs> Like, this is impossible. How can this guy be insecure? But he wasn't. That was, it was so, you know, this, this, him being insecure was, to me, it was just an amazing, not that he was insecure. I wouldn't want him to go through anything, but the fact that he could feel that way. Because, Chris, I'm sure, you know, you've, you've interviewed a ton of guys and um, their guys, if they are insecure, they never show it. They never talk mm -hmm. about it. Um, Ed, you know, wore on the sleeve if he was feeling down or, unsure about something. Um, but yeah, later on, I mean, I, I think all those things, Eric, came into play and, and right. changed, at least changed the dynamic we had. I, I don't know what he was like with other people, but, um, sure. um, you know. Let, let me ask you this, Steve, and this has always been something that was in my head. And again, this goes back to my teenage years. When 5150 came out, which to me was such a, it was such a groundbreaker as a fan, just as a fan, it was, it was literally my entire world changed because I was a Sammy fan. And as a Sammy fan, I was like, oh my God, Sammy Hagar, Van Halen, this is gold. And I was always surprised when people didn't like it. I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe people weren't happy especially even when Eat em and Smile came out because that was a good record too. So I was like, oh my God, we're getting two Van Halens basically. For Eddie though, one of the biggest things as a fan that was always out there was people started making the decision between Eddie Van Halen and Steve Vai. And people always kind of looked at that and were like, well, this guy's the new guy and he's better. or This guy's still the goat or whatever. You know, there was always that. For Eddie, did Eddie feel, I don't know, a jealousy or a resentment or any of that stuff toward Vi just because he was a hotshot player? He was out there doing sort of the Eddie Van Halen thing, especially on the Eat Him and Smile tour. He was kind of doing what Eddie had been doing. 
and Roth was profiting from that. Did did Eddie resent that at that time? Yeah, that's a good question, man. I don't I, I don't think resent or jealous are quite the right words because I think at the bottom of it, I think Ed Ed recognized what a very very good guitar player Steve was. Sure. Look, if, if they had gotten a guy, you know, that maybe just kind of you know, burn through wrists, you know, I think Ed, you know, certainly wouldn't have been resentful or jealous, but he would have had no respect whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So with Steve, um, no, I, I, I don't think, I don't think it was that. Um, I just wanted to backtrack uh, one minute and I don't know if I write about it in the book, but I actually, just because we're talking about Steve, I told Steve that, that David Lee Roth was looking for a, a guitar player. Oh, wow. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but um, uh, uh, I, I, I remember that, and Steve brings that up once in a while. Um, I think that Ed, and again, it was never talked about. Um, Ed was certainly aware of Billy Sheehan. You know, he loved mm-hmm. Billy. You know, they got along really well. Uh, I mean, look, Dave put to get together an amazing band. You know, sure. that person, I mean, those guys, I mean, my God, they were they were unbelievable. And that was a good record. You know, I mean, he made it, he made a good record. Um, uh, I think Ed realized all of that. I don't think he was jealous of that. I, I, I think he was just, um, maybe, maybe he thought that, that Dave didn't quite have the, um, I don't know, man, the musical, uh, you know, expertise, to put a band like that together, to, to, to see that and frame it that way. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I think we never talked about that. You know, um, uh, you know when Dave did the um, uh, the EP, Ed was all for it. Okay. And then Dave leaves, and then Ed was kind of, mm, you know. And um, we never really talked about the Eat Em and Smile per- album per se. He did sure. talk about um, Steve. Um I think he may have said something like, yeah, now Steve's going to have to put up with them or something, you know. Right. Uh, from, uh, they knew each other. From what, I, what I've uh, deduced from Steve Vai's interviews and such, they were actually somewhat friends before that, Steve Vai and Eddie. They knew each other, uh, both being in L.A. and being some of the hottest guitar players. Uh, but back to what you were saying, Steve, earlier about uh, being insecure. You know, once Eddie hit the scene and other guitar play- players were catching on to his licks, which from what I understand at the beginning, he would, he would turn around on stage just so people wouldn't rip him off. You know, he yeah, would, he would. I saw one of those shows. Yeah. Because he knew it was just <laughs> a matter of time that once you figure out the trick, you know, you're going to probably go with it, run with it, use it to possibly yeah. take it to a next level. Like so many guitarists did. I mean, at that time in the uh, early eighties, uh, which is also when uh, the GIT guitar school. Yeah. I think was founded around that time. There was a a big leap in in guitar virtuosity around that time. So Ed was incredible and unique and and such a cool songwriter and every tune he did was different. And he was special in so many more ways than just the the lead parts. You know, his rhythms, his his rhythms were amazing. This is not, he's not a guy that played bar chords ever, you know, Uh, but I could see the insecurity when it's like they're everyone's telling you you're the greatest guitar player in the world. You're the king. And you just don't know if it's just 
if you believe the bullshit anymore or whatever, but that that could lead to the insecurity. I can see that. You know, all the magazines voted him the best guitar player, Nikki Six the best bass player. This went on forever. For years, I, as a yeah. as as a as a kid who, you know, at the time the fifty one fifty came out, I was about fifteen years old. I loved Eddie. He was wallpapered on my wall. I had a jumping, <laughs> you know, a jumping Eddie above my bed. Uh I mean, I was that age group that was, you know, mesmerized by him of course i was i'm a little younger than his peers uh but i was loyal to him you know i didn't like steve i didn't care i didn't care about the roth record i stuck with him if, the, if you had to pick sides i stayed on the van halen side sure and i stayed with eddie for probably up until i started being a musician and playing myself and just being concerned with uh with my music but yeah. it was a there was there was a lot of popularity contests going on but again uh guitar was just getting to this level where it became almost ridiculous how good some of these people were but it was too much you know even me i i was like man i'll never be able to play like tony mcalpine or these different yeah. people but i really didn't like that stuff anyway what was cool about ed is that he delivered these great songs these amazing beautiful songs and uh, Roth didn't couldn't quite do that. It wasn't just like, oh, here's the recipe. You got Roth, and you add a, a hot guitar player, good bass player, drummer, and you'll have a Van Halen. It just yeah. Roth never had the tunes after that. No, no, absolutely. You know, and and it's funny because th that is one of the conversations that you bring that up here that uh, that I had with Ed, and, and somehow we were talking about Dave, and and I said, well, you know, Dave's gonna have to go to outside writers because. You know, Billy doesn't really write. I mean, he does. You know, Steve writes, but you, you, you know, it's kind of Steve Vai stuff. You know, um, and Dave is, you know, just primarily a, a lyric guy. So where's that music going to come? And Ed said, Yeah, he's already gone outside. And he goes, well, Look at their game of song. You know, Ed and Steve look at their were good friends, which I didn't know. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, you're right. So so uh, they they did need some somebody who kind of kind of wrote that 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 was a huge difference. Um, Ed kind of went the other way too, because at this time, by the time Fifty One Fifty was coming out, like I said, these uh, virtuosos were really coming onto the scene, and he kind of went the other way. It seems like he just stayed with his strength, which was like the commercialability of his uh, songs. Yeah. You know, Fifty One Fifty. It was a very radio friendly record for sure. Probably the most radio friendly one they had done up up until that uh, point. And his solos uh, on Fifty One Fifty were more melodic. You know, he goes, you know what? They're going crazy. I'm going to stay melodic, you know. Yeah. Uh, what's what's the one? What's the dreams? That song, dreams. Yeah. Where he'd be like da na 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 da 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 da. He was just trying to like, you know, be melodic. He wasn't worrying right. about it anymore. Exactly, and 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 which which comes from, you know, Ed at any given time saying he never listened to anybody. Right? He listened to Clapton, but you know I don't really listen to Clapton. You know I listen to Blackmore, but I don't really like Blackmore. You know, he said he never listened to Hendrix, and then he liked Hendrix. You know, right. <laughs> Alan Holdsworth. So yeah, so it's not like you have a guy, which is odd because you think back to the club days, you know, and they were doing everything from you know Spirit and Stray Dog songs to you know ZZ Top and Sabbath. Sure. So I think, I think uh, subconsciously that was creeping in in terms of. Um, uh, his compositional stuff, um, you know. But as you said, me, yeah, his songs, you know, I, I don't know, even know if Ed ever thought about verse, pre-chorus, you know, chorus, verse, 
bridge. So I, I don't think he ever thought about that. I think he just, you know, kind of came out with, 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 the, with, the, with the music and presented it to the guys. And he even said at one point that he was pretty amazed that Dave came up with some of that stuff he did over some of those changes. Um, and I agree with that. And some of that stuff, you know, mm -hmm. uh, would have been pretty difficult to find lyrics and melodies and, you know, phrases to work over that stuff. Um, yeah, but I don't think Ed was ever aware of, uh, yeah, all of that, that, that 80s stuff. I mean, certainly he'd probably heard of these guys, um, but it meant nothing to him. At a point in time, I think he said, yeah, man, I, you know, I hear everybody copying me. I think that may have bothered him a little bit, but um, yeah, right. not uh, for him to go to try to change what he did, you know, at all. So, right. No. Yeah. Well, Steve, Steve, let me ask you a couple of questions um, post your relationship with him mm -hmm. and, um, for people that don't know, or and and I'm not going to ask you what happened because I'm assuming that's in the book. So I'll leave that as if you really want to know, read the book. And the book, exactly. of course, is called Tone Chaser. I'll put it on the screen here so people can see it, uh, well, so that they know what to buy here. It's Tone Chaser, um, understanding Edward Van Halen. Um, but after you, your relationship ended with him in 2003, as yeah. as I recall. Correct. So they obviously did reunite with Roth and they did have, you know, quite a bit of success. They put out the record, different kind of truth, you know, and, and whatnot for you as somebody that knew Eddie, how did you view that time period from, from the reunion until his passing, you know, knowing what you did about Eddie as a friend, as a personal acquaintance, and seeing what they were doing. Did you did you think that they were doing it just for money? Did you think that Eddie was trying to promote his kid and that's why Michael Anthony wasn't there? I mean, what were your impressions as somebody that knew him well? I mean, that's a really good question, man. If I'm completely honest, because I'm thinking back, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I've you know, our friendship ends in 2003 and, you know, what were my feelings? And, you know, he gets back with Dave. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't follow what Ed did after that. Okay. You know, maybe it's a, um, it's a selfish thing. I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't want to know, um, you know, um, and again, I don't want to give things away, but I, I, you know, I wasn't part of his life. Not that I wished him anything ill whatsoever, you know, but um, uh, I, I really, I, 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 it's not like I was glued to, to what he was doing. I did, I do remember thinking, I cannot believe he's back with Dave. Right. After the things, and again, you know, you haven't gotten there, Chris, but I mean, he says things about Dave. Look, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle there, right? Um, 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 and again, I also want to say at this time, and I write in the book, Ed loved Dave and he loved Mike. And people say, oh, he was so fucking mad at Mike and angry. And that, that, that wasn't anger. That was just absolute um, frustration and what he felt was disrespect from those guys. Um, um, that comes out in, in, in anger a lot of times, you know. Um, right. Uh, but he loved those guys. I think he would have wanted, I know he would have wanted nothing more than those original four guys to have remained together till just passing. Um, right. So uh, I thought the fact that he got back together with, with Dave was astonishing to me. Um, 
I heard that he sort of unceremoniously um, let Mike go. I thought that was a terrible thing to do. That sure. must have destroyed Mike. Um, having Wolf in the band, that that didn't surprise me. Um, you know, um, I, I, I think Ed lived for that moment. I think he loved having Wolf in the band. Um, so I wish I could be more specific about what I thought. I remember hearing a different kind of truth record and it was okay. Yeah. It was good. I mean, Ed, Ed, Ed on his worst day is never going to play bad, you know, and whether the stuff was older stuff or resurrected stuff, you know, it, it just, a, a band like that, you know, and that's, yeah, I, 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 I agree I, with you. For, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. I, I really found that record to be very average. And yeah. I just was like, again, it's never bad. It's kind of like Diver Down. People, a lot of people hammer on Diver Down because it's all covers and, you know, throwaway I tracks. I love Diver and, Down. Yeah, well, Diver. so do I. It's, 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 it's Eddie Van Halen. And, and the guy really didn't do anything bad. But I, I, I do want to go, since you mentioned Wolfie real quick, the relationship between Eddie and Wolfgang has been turned into media fodder, in my opinion. I, I'm not saying that it's not true. I'm certainly not saying that Ed didn't love his kid and his kid didn't love him immensely to the upteenth level. I'm not saying yeah. that at all. Yeah. But I think it's been turned into part of the marketing machine to get Mammoth, fan, Mammoth Wolfie out there. That being said... Do you think if Eddie would have would have lived, if he wouldn't have gotten sick and passed away, do you think Wolfie's career would be on the path that it is now? Or do you think his dad's influence would have changed him, maybe, maybe pushed him a little more into the direction of his father instead of going the direction of Mark Tremonti and Alter Bridge, which is kind of what what mammoth van mammoth wolfgang van halen sounds like yeah i mean that's a great question i mean um look i can tell you as you said chris ed adored wolf wolf adored ed um and i write in the book the only time i had met wolf and it's a strange little story and i don't want to give that away um but i i i, I will tell you that uh one of the last interviews I did with Ed, he says, hey man, you, you gotta listen to this. And he, I, I guess he had a, 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 um, uh, a little tape recorder, a little, you know, digital recorder. And uh, I'm talking to him on the phone so I can hear it. You know, it's a little hard to hear, but I can hear somebody playing drums, you know, and it sounds like John Bonham. I mean, it, it, it really sounds good. And I go, wow, man, that's really good. He goes, yeah, that's Wolf. You know, and we now we all know the story now. Yeah, I thought Wolf had to play drums in in six minutes, and I, I, <laughs> right. I mean, the kid, the kid is gifted. I'll tell you, man. Had he not had the gift, then you would have had a, a nightmare of a, of a of a thing out there. But the fact that he is good, um, you know, very very talented. Um, I think that's what you know causes a lot of this, you know, back and forth. Um, so so. That was actually probably the first time Ed had ever spoken about Wolf. I'm not talking to his family or, you know, his brothers. Um, outside of that, you know, about how musical he was. And I think Wolf was 11 at the time. Um, right. In answer to your question, man, look, I think if Ed had, had uh, uh, Ed was still here, I think Wolf would still be playing with him. I don't yeah. know if Wolf ever would have gone off 
or Ed maybe would have taken some time off and, you know, done a solo record with Wolf. I think they would have continued playing together. Um, you know, um, look, Wolf Van Halen is, uh, you know, he has a pedigree that's undeniable. Sure. He has a last name that, that it's undeniable. Um, extraordinarily talented. But yeah, man, he's come under fire from people that I, 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 nobody deserves what he's gone through, man. And I think, I think it all comes from a jealous place. Um, people are jealous of that. Oh, you know, you have the last name and, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't know. I, I, I think Wolf ultimately was going to do what he was going to do. Had Wolf, um, uh, you know, continue playing music and, you know, Ed was still alive. W would his music have changed at all? Would Ed have inserted any kind of, you know, elements? I don't think so. I think Ed would have said, hey, man, you're doing great. Do what you do. And, you know. Right on. I mean, but I think ultimately, I think they still would have been playing together. <laughs> Steve, let me ask you. So as the title of the book, Tone Chaser, which I, I love that. Um, cool. Does the book delve in at all to his uh, his different uh, use of guitar equipment at all, how it changed over the years? You know, it, it's funny, Eric, um, because, Chris, at the, at the top of this, you know, you said the book is unlike other books. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make certain, well, it's just the way it was, it was going to come out. Look, man, there are a lot of other books out there. You know, um, uh, Brad Talinsky's book. Um, you know, you know, Brad was a guitar world editor. I mean, he knows a thousand times more about Ed, Ed's gear and effects right. and pedals and stuff that, than I will ever know. Um, right. um, and so there's no way I was going to try to write that kind of a book. You know, I mean, I, I, I couldn't. I mean, I had all the interviews I'd done for Guitar World where Ed's talking about that stuff. Um, but, you know, these other books go so much more into depth. Um, uh, but yes, I mean... You know, what's interesting are the early interviews. I mean, the interview, the first interview I did with him in phone in, in 77, um, a few months after I met him, you know, Ed's talking about stuff that we now all know about. The tapping thing, I remember, you know, saying to Ed or, you know, you this tapping thing and what is that? And Ed trying to explain it. And I believe... It was maybe the very first time Ed ever tried to explain it. And I want to clear up another thing. Jazz Obrecht wrote the covers in Guitar Player. Those are the first nationally syndicated interviews with Edward. I, however, did what I believe is the first ever interview with Ed. Ed could have done some interview with some small town paper when he was out on tour. I don't think so. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Jazz's interviews, you know, that was the... That was the um, you know, the, the stepping stone for all that stuff. But so, so Ed's talking about, you know, the capping thing, and he's talking about, um, uh, uh, um, how we, how do you keep your guitar in tune? And he goes to this thing, you know, and he's explaining, I'm going, I couldn't follow it. You guys could probably follow it. So that's what's intriguing about those interviews that, is that so early on you hear him talking about this. And yes, now we know about those things. But back then, uh, you know, hearing him talk about that for the first time uh, was pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a fair amount of that stuff. Um, 
I don't even understand all that as a guitarist. I didn't want to make you think I'm some gear freak. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I, I use like four Boss effects pedals into an amp, a Marshall amp. You know what I mean? But yeah. I was always, you know, intrigued by how much he delved into his gear. He seemed like a mad scientist in a lot of ways in that 5150 studio, just tinkering away with different uh, sounds and ideas that would later become marketable as equipment for people to buy later i mean i see more of that stuff on the market now than i ever did in his in his heyday but uh i was just curious but it's it it is more i guess if you were to to do a one-liner it it is mostly your your friendship just just you telling the stories of and, and sharing the interviews through those 25 years is what people can expect from this book right exactly 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 and let me before before we wrap up. Let me dovetail off sure. of what what you just answered with another question, dude. We're gonna definitely have you back on <laughs> once I finish I the this. book. I love because talking about this. because I could talk about this all day. But okay, well, I'll co- I'll come back when uh, when you guys finish the book. Okay, okay we will definitely do that. Right. But I'll get you a copy here. Okay. Oh, I let, love that. So let much. me ask you real quick since we're talking about Eddie and how, like Eric said, he was a mad scientist in the studio. What was his attention or focus toward the other guys in the studio, toward the drumming, toward the bass, toward the the vocal and the vocal sounds and the processing? Did he have that same, I guess what I'm asking was, did he have that same focus toward Van Halen, the entity, as we know he had toward Van Halen, the guitar player? I mean, that's another great question because honestly, we never talked about that, but I don't think so. Um, in okay. fact, I don't think he, he was ever even around when Dave was cutting vocals, right? It was Dave and Ted Templeman. Yeah. Ed said, yeah, he says, I don't even know what the lyrics are. I don't even know what Dave is writing about, you know? They, <laughs> wow. they have nothing to do with my life. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> wow. was he ever there? Yeah, was he ever? Yeah, you know, I thought that was just amazing. Um, yeah. You know, was he ever there when when Al would would cut drums? Um, who knows? I mean, maybe just because of the the brother thing. Honestly, I don't know if he was ever there when Mike was putting on bass. Um, so uh, yeah, played bass. What's that? Ed recorded the Ed recorded the bass on some of the tracks, from what I understand. He recorded a lot of the bass. Look, even even yeah. where people, even where he said, even where there's no, you know, through the grapevine that he he did it. Look, man. You can just hear the playing, and it, it, there's just no way Mike could play like that. And again, I talk about Mike. I didn't know Mike that well, but I ran him several times. He was an incredibly sweet guy. Uh, like he he described himself as sort of like uh, Switzerland. You know, he was like the neutral ground between right. Ed and you know Dave. Um, um, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of Mike's bass playing. Okay. Not to say that he wasn't, he, it didn't work in Van Halen because obviously it did, but I, I was just used to a different kind of, um, hearing different kind of bass. You know, look, man, I'm, I'm a generation before you guys. So I'm used to hearing, you know, John Atwistle and Jack Bruce and Chris Squire and mm-hmm. Andy Frazier. And I'm not saying they're, they're better bass players. It, it, it's just different. The way right. they frame their playing and the way they play with drummers. So I was just used to a different thing. 
Um, you know, in the same way that I've said in the book, and then I'll get back to your point, Chris. Um, I thought Jeff Beck was the greatest guitar player who's ever lived. Um, and that's because I grew up listening to Jeff Beck sure. and Cloud with Cream and, and Blackmore and, and Hendrix and Paul Kossoff and early Trower with Prokel and, um, you know, th that Pete Townsend. I mean, that's what I was used to hearing. Um, so, uh, you know, it's what you grow up with. So in answer to your question, Chris, I don't think Ed did take that much um, okay. notice of, of everything else. I think um, when he used to come over, he'd bring me the tracks. I'm, I'm pretty sure they were unmixed. I, there was probably just drums and guitars, and they were amazing. I mean, wow. I could walk into the studio and I could have mixed the tracks. I'm not taking anything away from Don Landy or Ted Temple. I don't mean to say that. But I mean, that was Ed, my God, it was just there, it, you know, it, mm. it was just there in his fingers, it was there. So um, I, I don't think he took that much time at okay. all uh, in, in listening to the other parts. Um, you know, in fact, I asked him, sort of along those lines, I go, Ed, you know, when you're, write, when you're writing these changes, you know, you know, subconsciously, you must be hearing some melodies going over to I'm just walking, you, you, you know, whether you're the lyric writer, melody writer or not, you got to hear some changes. He goes, well, uh, you know, a little bit. I go, would you ever suggest anything to Dave? And I think he says, no, nah, never. You know, <laughs> wow. maybe he said once he suggested something to Dave. So, uh, um, yeah, I don't think he participated in that at all. I think the record was done and he would listen to it and go, yeah. And then he, you know, he would remark, as we went on and did interviews, he'd remark on earlier records about this or that, or maybe the bass could have sounded better, or, you know, Dave singing like that, because I don't want to give things away, and I'm not trying to bash on those guys, but this is all stuff that Edward told to me. Sure. And I want to say one other thing here, and I'll let you, I'll get back to you guys. When I was, when I, when I was originally going to write Ed's book, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, and I started, I think, in 85, uh, you know, working on the book. He, again, he signed a little contract. So I started interviewing people, um, thinking, oh, they, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do the book, you know, 88, 89, we'll sit down. That never happened. So Ed was telling me these things, and, and I, I have this in the book as well. He said, don't print that. And so he was talking about one, don't print that in a magazine because right. he may have been talking about a record that had just come out or something that happened that had I written about that in that moment or, or six months after, that could have been pretty damaging. Look, the label might have been angry, angry about what he had said about something, but he was also talking about don't put that in the fucking book, thinking this book is going to be coming out in a year or two years from now. Right. So all these years later, 17 years pass, and I wanted to write the most honest book I could, I could and, and I have all this stuff that I think is incredibly insightful to who he was. And so I, I, I will put, you know, Ed's um, uh, comment about, yeah, man, and we were working on the record and it, it didn't come out good. Don't print that. I, I include don't print that because right. I want people to know what he felt was so important. And people, some people, not many, said, well, why would you put that out now? Isn't that... You know, um, betraying him, I go, 17 years later, and a lot of it sort of like 
has seeped out anyway. Sure. But I, I kept those secrets, you know, in, in my vault for 17 years. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm not sure how I got off a tangent here, guys. <laughs> I don't think well, I don't think Ed cared a shit about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he's in a better place. He's not worried about it. Right. Exactly. Yeah, man, he's not sitting there next to Ted while, while they're doing vocals. I mean, look, exactly. Nice. You know, fifty-one fifty. We know no one else is around. You know, he and Don have gotten everything. So, right. You know, things change there for sure. Sure. Well, Steve, uh, like I said, man, we will definitely have you back on again. Um, the book, which I suggest everybody go and buy, it's Tone Chaser: Understanding Edward. Um, Steve, where should we tell people to go to keep up with you and to buy the book, or is Amazon the best place, or what? Oh, cool, man. I, I appreciate that. Um, so uh, you can find it several places. You can find it on my little website, which is pretty simple, tonechaserbook.com, one word. Um, and you can get it there. And there's some pretty fun stuff up there, some some cool pictures and uh, some uh, uh, YouTube stuff I put up, a little bit more about me and, and other stuff I've done. So you can find it there, tonechaserbook.com. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on eBay. Reverb and Etsy. If okay, any of you excellent. know Etsy, you can you can find it there. I think I sold three copies there, but um, <laughs> actually I sold more copies there than I thought. But you know, I thought, oh, why, why, why the hell not? But yeah, go check out the book, and um, you know, if you're a Van Halen fan, I think you'll see, and hopefully come away with with knowing some stuff about Edward, maybe that you never knew before. Absolutely. So, well, one yeah. more time, the book is called Tone Chaser: Understanding Edward. And um, Steve, thanks so much for joining us here on Chris Aker Presents. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Eric. See you guys later. Take care, Bye, man. Steve. Awesome Bye. to meet you. All right.